Hello and welcome to How Did You Do It? I thought that I would come on here and do a pre-introduction into Andy, who is my guest on today's episode. As Andy was born with special needs and has had a range of medical events happen throughout his life, I thought that I would give a little bit of context and then when we are jumping around in the conversation, it might help to put things into order. Some of the medical terms and events, Andy does go into detail in the episode as well. I apologize in advance for my pronunciation. I definitely don't have a degree in um, any type of medical field. I just thought I would give a overarching context as to the types of medical events that have happened. And then when you listen to the episode, you'll be able to understand which he's talking about. So Andy was born with spina bifida, which is a congenital condition where the spinal cord does not form properly. As a result of this, the person can either be a paraplegic or quadriplegic, depending on the level of the spina bifida. Andy was born with a low lumbar spina bifida, which meant that he was able to walk, but not normally. Amongst Andy's special needs, he has also experienced tethering of the spinal cord, which does require further operation. Andy has also had a carotid dissection, which is quite serious and can cause a stroke. He has also experienced an epidural bleed, which basically causes compression and can be the same as a spinal cord injury and cause paraplegia or quadriplegia. Andy does use a wheelchair, however, he has taught himself to walk again with the use of walking aids. In editing Andy's episode, what really shone through for me was his ability to come back to gratitude as a mindset and to not let the words and actions of others deter his own determination in the way that he was going to live his life with joy, with intention and with gratitude. I think the best way to start is to understand the condition that you were born with. Sure. So I was born with spina bifida. So spina bifida is a congenital condition where the spinal cord doesn't form properly as a result. The person is either a paraplegic or quadriplegic, depending on the level of the spina bifida. Mine was low lumbar, so I could walk, but not normally. Do you remember the first time in your childhood where you felt like it was difficult or it came up for you in any way? Um, It's always been difficult. Being born with spina bifida, unfortunately, uh, there are learning difficulties that are associated with that as well. And also I've never been athletic, so I was always behind my peers. I remember primary school I was always the last kid to be picked on a sports team. Did that show up for you mentally in any way? Yeah. My self-confidence and acceptance of disability was never there during my childhood or my teens. Mm. It was only in my 30s where I really started getting acceptance of disability, um, which I'm still trying today. What was that process like for you in accepting disability? So... It really came through my friendships 
and growing as a person, I realized I was always going to be different or always going to hospitals and needing uh, more time to, to get things. So I suppose through, through my friendships, just sort of understanding that everyone's slightly different, it's just that I get things a little bit slower. Mm, I was going to ask, do you see difference as a bad thing? So, yeah, I think fundamentally it, it, it was hard for me and I never really was comfortable within myself because I was always a bit slower. But I, I just had a light bulb moment where I'm like, we all can't be Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all can't have a six pack. We, we, we can't all have, you know, a perfect smile and perfect pitch. Yeah, we, we all can't be a perfect Ken. Mm. So how did that develop into the confidence that you have today? You know, I, I'm, I'm a quirky person. I love art and cinema and th- through my friendships I sort of got acceptance of just being slightly different and, and them appreciating me as a, a person and that really helped me grow as a young adult mm. and I sort of just then sort of accepted that, yeah, I'm not going to be your stereotypical person. I'm different and I should love myself for that. I love going out to restaurants and cafes and bars and galleries. And so it's just about, you know, taking time to take a photo, go to a nice cafe, get a nice bottle of wine sometimes and just sort of sit there and, and enjoy and appreciate the sunshine and, and or the clouds, you know, just being able to sit and enjoy life. I think that there's so much insight in sitting and enjoying the small moments and I think that people rush around and they worry about such little things and I'm sure from your perspective it would be frustrating in a way to hear the noise that goes on when you have had to go through a journey of difference as well. Is gratitude and mindfulness something that comes up for you in sitting in the slower moments and appreciating the sky and the clouds and the wine? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm very, very blessed that my father's a a doctor. You know, I've always managed to get the best healthcare. And I think, you know, about my mortality a lot because of all my illnesses. And I, th- I think, you know, had I been born into any other family, I, I, I would most likely be dead by now. Mm. Um, How do you mean by that? Well, I had in my 30s something called a bilateral dissection of my carotid arteries. So you've got four major arteries to your brain. And uh, I was one day sitting at, at home and I was having severe eye pain and I was going to go overseas two days later and I showed my father my eye and he said, oh, that's really not good. You've got one eye that's dilating and one eye that's not. So that's a neurological problem there. Went to see an ophthalmologist the next day that my father got me in to see quickly and he said, you need to go get an MRI soon because that's, you know, I think that's something serious. I ended up having a dissection of my right carotid artery and I went to hospital and got put on 
on uh, blood thinners and then six weeks later I started having more neurological problems and uh, got another MRI and it showed the other side had dissected. So then I got put on all these restrictions and uh, and my life really changed. I had to, you know, really slow down and 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 look after my my health at, at that point was yeah a very defining moment Mm. you said that you went through restrictions how do you mean restrictions so today I can't lift anything over 10 kilos in each arm or I could risk uh having another dissection and the risk with having another dissection would almost certainly result in surgery um which has a high risk of a, a stroke occurring does all of this affect your mindset day to day when you're going about your life or do you feel like you can, you know, wake up and go about your routine? I think about my mortality way too much now. Mm. Um, and so if I'm doing something, I tend to be quite careful. I, I don't ever want to sort of have that problem again where I'm getting an MRI about having another dissection and that would just be absolutely devastating to me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I I do try to be careful. I was very afraid of my life because it was um, something that, you know, I really could have gone very, very badly. I was very scared and my mortality was in my mind daily at that point. And then when I had the spinal cord injury, I was, you know, petrified and I remember you know, crying a lot when I was in the emergency department and one of the nurses there told me to stop complaining and I reacted very nastily and I don't think it was justified the way I spoke to her at that point, but I was very upset and angry. I kept asking for the doctor to speak to my uh, neurologist. I kept asking for him to speak to my specialist and he said to me, I'm not speaking to any other doctor until I rule everything out myself. And I could see that he didn't believe me or trust me. I think he thought that I was there just looking for drugs. Mm. Um, And he didn't take a look at my medical history or anything. And uh, so there was a real sort of loss of connection there, Mm. which was the first time I had really experienced that in the medical field. My father was overseas at the time. I think had he been there, it would have gone down very differently. Um, and this could have been avoided. And then the next day I had, uh, my father had written a letter about the, the doctor to the management of the hospital and then about the nurse's treatment. And she came out and apologised. And so I've forgiven her, but I still haven't managed to forgive the, the doctor. And I think about him a lot still um, with what he, he had done to me. Um so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to get uh, forgiveness for him, but I still haven't worked out that strength yet. I actually don't think that as a society we know how to properly forgive. We can talk about processing emotions and we can talk about easing emotions, but I think that when someone has shown us hurt, it's really hard to look at that person or to look at that memory and not feel the pain. And I think that it's such a... I mean, how have you gone with forgiveness in in your life? Have you mastered it? Because I would love some <laughs> tips if you have. <laughs> I I've, I think I have 
with a lot of things. As I said, I've managed to forgive that nurse. I've mm. um, tried to forgive uh, people for their wrongdoings. Employment's still a journey for me. It's It's been proven to be very, very hard to, to get a job with special needs. What do people need to know about getting a job with special needs? How could the community or how could employees out there, what do they need to know to increase sure. employment? So I think people with special needs can add to a, a company. You know, there, there are sometimes big things that need to be put into the workplace, which can be hard and costly for a, a company. And, and I understand that. I know when I worked for the supermarket, they didn't really understand special needs and sometimes were quite cruel. So I remember one day I was walking from, back from a break and there was this one worker who was uh, maybe 18 and he started mimicking my limp. I got, you know, very upset by that. And I went to the store manager and he said, just let it be. It's not a problem. Um, and so I think there was a lack of respect for me and my ethnicity as well. I had somebody in the workplace say something very hurtful about Jewish people. And I went straight to the store manager and I said, that, that was anti-Semitic what was said. And I want something done about this. I don't want him fired. I think that all it's going to do is uh, make more anti-Semitism. I want him to be educated. Mm. And he came back and he apologised and I accepted his apology. And I think, you know, he learnt a, a lesson that day that, you know, he can't just say things that are in his mind that he thinks will be funny mm. um, because, yeah, it, it, it was hurtful. Mm. But then I also had a... A store manager, he came to me one day and he said, Andrew, I'm a person without a, a disability, can work a box at night fill every 15 seconds. And I said, well, I can't do that. And he goes, I know. So I'm going to give you an extra 15 seconds because we're doing it during the day. And he ended up saying that I expect you to pick up a box, find where it goes and um, put it on the shelf during the busiest time of the day every 45 seconds. And I said, that's not going to be possible. And he goes, well, then you'll get your first written warning. Then you'll get your second one. And by the third one, you'll be out of a job. And I said, that's not fair. And he goes, well, that's the way it is. I said, okay. I left for the day and uh, went and told my father, who's my doctor, and he goes, that's not possible. And I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, okay, don't worry. And uh, he rings me and he goes, I left something on the coffee table. Give it to your store manager. And he wrote a doctor's note saying that's not physically possible for Andrew. He's got these disabilities. Um, he can do it um, a box every minute and a half. And the store manager had a giant smile on his face when I came into his office and he starts reading it within a couple of seconds. He goes to me, that's not fair. I said, it's also not fair trying to fire a person with special needs just because they're a bit slower than everybody else and you don't like that. Um, and he goes, get out of my office. And I said, okay. And uh, didn't speak to me for the rest of the week. Mm. So I think, you know, that sort of schoolyard tactic of, of being a bully do doesn't work. But then I've worked in other organisations um, 
a pathology firm, a, a very large pathology firm that went out of their way to be nice it was Melbourne Pathology and the, the management there went out of their way to be nice to me. Um, they gave me so much support and I, I felt that support every day. Unfortunately, my computer skills just weren't um, up to scratch for the for the job, so I ended up leaving. Um, but the support that uh, the management there gave me was phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, so. I think that one thing that is really shining through is your strength to stand up for yourself even in the face of diversity in that way. Oh, thank you. What would you say to other people that might be in some type of chapter at the moment who are being bullied for their special needs and how do you think that, you know, they could find a voice for themselves? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I found support with my family and being able to talk to them or my partner um, that uh, you can sort of talk to them about what's what you're feeling and know if it's something that's worthwhile escalating or if it's something that you're just, you know, upset about. That's a very important thing. And then knowing the correct channels to to go to. I know when I worked for the supermarkets, I, I, I received a lot of bullying and I think, you know, I dealt with some of it very well, some of it not so well, but I think the times when I did it well was I'd spoken to somebody like my father or my friends or my siblings and then went about it very well by either writing a letter to the HR department or speaking to the store manager and getting a resolution that way. Mm. Just by the way, after this, you can tell me which supermarket because I don't want to give them my money. <laughs> I'll go to the other supermarket. <laughs> I've accepted that uh, that supermarket wasn't a great experience for me, but I was grateful that I was employed for 20 years in that organisation. Mm. But I have gotten to a place now where I've accepted my disability mm. and so I do still have fun and, and live my life. I have seen your Instagram page, which you have started, which is Adventure on Wheels. Is that correct? Adventure Wheels underscore Melb. Yes. <laughs> I see it as Adventure on Wheels because I know that you're a positive person and I see you going about and doing all of these amazing things. Um, can you talk us through a little bit about what that is? Sure. So it's a Instagram page for people with uh, disabilities. So I go to a, a cafe or an event um, or a restaurant and I review where the parking is for people with special needs, if there's a ramp or steps, how the toilet situation is and the menu because I was out with my partner one night with some friends and we had booked this uh, restaurant that was quite a popular one in the city and on their website they said wheelchair accessible and they had a box for it. We ticked yes and we got there and there was stairs, no ramp, no lift. And we asked where the wheelchair access was and they said, you'll have to lift up the wheelchairs yourself. Now, thankfully, I've gotten to a stage where I can walk, um, just not well. I use two walking aids, so two sticks. And 
so I got up out of the chair and they lifted up the wheelchair. We got there. They didn't open up the door for us and the staff were all very rude and condescending. And so me and my partner were very upset by this and we wrote some Google reviews and then they contacted us and said, we're very sorry about that. Can you please give us a second chance? So we did that and they had turned the things around. And so we we saw the the power of that and we thought if we did this for the right reasons, we could really help people with special needs find accessible places because I don't think that there was much out there for people with special needs uh, or much understanding by, by the general community. And so we started doing Adventure Wheels underscore Melb and we've reviewed a few places, some, some events, and I've been surprised at how accessible a lot of places have been, which has been fantastic. Mm. I also you know, have been around recently a couple of people who are disabled and I think it opens my eyes as to how much we take for granted and I think that there is definitely a lack of accessibility in terms of accessing buildings, in terms of, I know bathrooms are definitely like you'll see disabled bathrooms, but how do you hope that places will evolve for the disability community? Sure. I think a, a big thing is parking and disabled toilets. I remember after my injury, I would go to a place like Chadston with my ex or a family member and I'd be in the wheelchair and sometimes we would have to turn around because there would be no parking or we would find parking that was, you know, reasonably close but not disabled parking and then we would go into Chadston and there'd be a person parked there without a disabled permit. So we'd go and tell centre management and they'd issue a fine. But I don't think a lot of people understand that if you're in a wheelchair, those spots are designed for that are, that are slightly bigger so I can get into the wheelchair from the car without damaging somebody else's vehicle or my own vehicle. So I don't think a lot of people have that understanding. And also with the toilets, I think a lot of people believe that it's okay if nobody's around, I can just jump into the disabled toilets. It's bigger, it's nicer, it's more comfortable. And I understand if you've got small children, that being a lot easier to get them all to do it at the same time. And I empathise with that. But those those toilets are designed for people with uh, walking aids and uh, special needs or wheelchairs. I remember it wasn't long ago I was in Melbourne Central with my partner and we were waiting half an hour to get into a disabled toilet and this woman walked out who had no walking gait and she started verbally abusing us for knocking on the door. And we walked in there and there was, had clearly been using drugs in the bathroom, which was, you know, upsetting because we had to wait half an hour. And if you've got continence issues, which, you know, a lot of people can't see if somebody's got continence issues, how, you know, you, you could destroy the person's whole day by, by that. They'll need to go home and not be able to go out and experience uh, what they were trying to do for the day. Mm, that's really powerful. If there was one thing 
that you would want the general population to know, what would it be about your experiences? I think, you know, living with disability, um, people don't need to be afraid to ask questions. And I understand seeing a person in a wheelchair uh, for, for more children can be interesting. And so I don't think there's ever a problem asking questions in the right context. I think, especially for a child, if they go and ask a person with special needs, why are you in the wheelchair? That's, that's fine. Um, I think that's, it, it'll help build the understanding so people can be more tolerant and, and accepting of people with special needs. Mm. I've got a friend, a good friend who's been wheelchair bound most of his life and he was telling me a story where he was on a, a public bus and these young teenagers were calling him Timmy from South Park. Things like that are just nasty and not necessary and I understand that kids and teenagers may not have the understanding as we do as adults but um, if these kids can be taught from a young age that, you know, disability is not anything to be made fun of or to be afraid of, then these sort of things can stop. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because from my perspective, I think I've always held back asking questions for fear of offending or, yeah. you know, not wanting to say the wrong thing or not wanting anything to come across in a way that I don't mean. And mm. for me, I think it's so important that we see everyone as equal. And I think that the voices will get louder. And I think that that's important as well, because with the voices getting louder for the disabled community, it lifts us all up to a deeper understanding as to the experiences. And even knowing that it's safe to be able to ask questions and be curious about it without it ever offending. You mentioned that your friends that you met later on in life have been a big support for you. Um, How did that all happen for you? If there are people out there who are listening who might not have friends who are looking for that, Mm. um, how did that? So one of my closest friends, I met him when I was working in a supermarket and it was clear to him, I I think, that a lot of people in the supermarket were very cruel to me and he just wanted to be my friend and always had a good laugh and he never sort of made fun of me for for my disabilities and was just there to be my friend. And we sort of, you know, lost touch for a, a few years, not through any sort of fault of myself or him, just sort of drifted apart for a little bit. And then I started, I called him up and I'm like, let's, let's have a drink. And we've been very, very close ever since. Um, he's now, you know, married with kids, but his, you know, acceptance of me with my disability and never making fun of me at all has just been such a a big help. So yeah, Georgie, if you're listening, love you always. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Are you involved in a disability community or is it more you have your support around you of your friends and your family? So my family's been amazing. Come from a a very close family where I speak to my siblings daily. And when I had my spinal cord injury, I was getting phone calls from them, visits from them daily. If I'm ever sick, like I 
I called up my youngest sister who I said, listen, I've really hurt my back. I was in the shower and my back just went out and muscle was was really causing me a lot of pain. Without even asking her, she was in her car and she came over and looked after me for the day and was asking if she could drive me to the hospital, if I needed an ambulance. Um, she had called my doctors for me and and was really a, a big help. Um, and so all my family has been like that. Anytime I'm sick, they're all, all on the phone asking if they can do anything. Um, my father has always been there to help me. Um, I remember... I had um, something called a tethered spine. So when I, I had the initial surgery at birth, uh, sometimes the the scar tissue can catch the spine and, and stretch it. And so they've just got to loosen the spine. Um, and my, fa- my father, when I had the detethering, I was in hospital for, I think, six weeks lying on my stomach and then a further six weeks lying on my side or my stomach. My father was um, working, I think, six days a week at that point and he would get to work at uh, six o'clock in the morning. So he would have visited me and helped me with my breakfast and then after work, which could be nine, ten o'clock at night for him, he would then visit me as well. So he's always been there to support me and look after me and help me um, whenever I've needed. And, you know, he would take me overseas on, on holidays when times were tough for me to sort of cheer me up. Um, I remember as a child I had uh, two big operations. One of them was the detethering and then one because my feet were um, growing f- in a funny shape because of the spina bifida. Um, and so I had two big surgeries and my father took me away to Disneyland and San Francisco and it was just him and me and it was such a, a great experience that uh, I got to experience with him. And he's he's always been supportive um, even if um, I'm trying to study something that he thinks will be out of my grasp, he's still there to to help me whenever I need. My mother as well. If I'm sick at all, she's the first one to come over. I've, I've said to her when I've been in hospital, I'd really love uh, something for breakfast, some home-cooked food, and she makes it for me and brings it in. And when I had the the spinal cord injury, she was the first person I called and she came over immediately. It's really amazing. And, you know, when you're talking, you're you're saying how your family have been there for mm. you and you're saying how people have been cruel or mean and that's completely and utterly heartbreaking. I yeah. think that the fact that 
your family have been so supportive for you is yeah. something to be so grateful for at the same time. And yeah. you can see how gratitude has come through in your mindset in the way you. that you, you know, live your life at the moment and yeah. the way that you are and how you, have, you know, I was having a look at the comments that you were talking about on your Instagram page and you mm. were like, how could I not be happy right now? Like, <laughs> and there were some comments and I was like, that's inspiring. Oh, thank you. I know that you mentioned there was a big injury that was six years ago. Is that this one that you're talking yes. about now? Yes. So what happened with that? Because I know that you were able to teach yourself how to walk again. So can you walk us through? Sure. So I um, I was at my ex-girlfriend's place and um, I woke up and was in severe pain. And due to my life, I've got a fairly good pain threshold and I, I was saying the pain was at 11 and I was having some paralysis in my lower limbs. And so she drove me home and I got it upstairs into the house and um, then decided to try to find some painkillers upstairs, some, you know, Panadol or whatever I could. And I couldn't make it up the flight of stairs. And so called my mother, called the ambulance and my doctor they all arrived roughly at the same time and uh, they decided to take me to the emergency department. Unfortunately, there was a 12-hour delay in diagnosis and uh, the, they eventually found that I had a, a hematoma, so a, a bleed on my spine. And they did the surgery and I was told that I had a 30% chance of ever walking again. And... I, I, I was in tears and so by the time that they found it, I was par paralysed from the mid-chest down and I was being prepared to live a life in a wheelchair. You know, the, the hospital said, yeah, you've got to come to terms with this. And I just remembered thinking, I've been told so many things in my life that I won't be able to do. You know, I, I remember I, I was enjoying running for a, a, a period of time. Um, you know, I was never a great runner, <laughs> never been good at any sport, but um, I'm stubborn. And uh, I had managed to do a 16 and a half kilometre fun run. Wow. That's and, more than I've ever run, just yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I was told that would never be possible. I didn't do it in the best time, but I did it continuously and I didn't stop until it was done. And I, I, I thought about that and I thought about, you know, all these small achievements that I've managed to do. And I, I said to myself, I can't give up. You know, if I'm going to walk again, it's got to be me. And as I said to you before, I've got a great love of cinema. And I thought about Kill Bill Volume 1. There's a scene in the film early on where the main character wakes up from a coma and she's par paralysed and she goes and looks at her toes and go, move, move. And she quickly gets one her big toe to move and then she goes, let's get the rest of these little piggies to move now. And I, I remembered that and I, so I started looking at my big toe and it took me two days to get it to move. And I remember the feeling at that point of this is the first bit of hope I've, I've had. Mm. 
and I said, it's going to be okay, Andrew. You're going to get through this. Even if you even if you don't get any more toes to move, you've at least accomplished one toe. And on my right foot, I can get all my toes to move now and I can get my big toe on my left foot to move, but the rest of them won't. But I'm still trying. You know, I still sit on my couch or in my bed and I look at my toes, still trying to get them to move. Is that the stubbornness coming out? Yeah. <laughs> you can walk, but you're yeah. like, I still want you to move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, that's definitely my stubbornness. I remember sitting in the hospital and they kept trying to wrap me up in cotton wool because they had seen, you know, the damage that had been done and I think I was a little bit impulsive and they were quite scared that I was going to do more damage to, to myself. And... I, th- I said to myself again, Andrew, you got that toe to move. You did the 16.5-kilometre fun run. You've managed to do all these things and the only person that did those is yourself. Don't listen to the haters. Mm. And so I kept on, you know, when the physios weren't looking, I kept trying and I kept falling. I was doing it in the safest way I could and then – it was, I think, two weeks later, I said to the physio, have a look at this. And I took my hands off the bars and I was just having them hover. And I, used, I took a, a step independently. It was the first step I took independently. And she's like, that's fantastic. And then we moved forward from there. Mm. And I was just so happy. I was over the moon. And uh, that was the next bit of hope I had. Hope is so important. Uh, it, it really is. And also celebration of, of your victories is very important. I remember when I was in hospital in the rehab, um, one of the nurses that I got along very well with, um, she came, came into my room and she goes, what's this? Uh, th- these glasses that have clearly had red wine in them? And I'm like, what do you think? And she goes, I didn't uh, see these. <laughs> You're not meant to have wine in here. <laughs> I said, how else am I meant to celebrate? <laughs> how did you get that wine? That's what um, I'm curious my, about. My father brought it in. <laughs> <laughs> Strong support again. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And so that time where you lifted your hands off the bars and you took that step, I can't even imagine how much willpower would have had to go into that like how did how did that even physically feel to like was it like heavy yes so I think when I when I took that first step I had my hands hovering over there and I suppose the best way to describe the feeling was when you when you have when you stand up or I stand up now I can feel in my right leg it's you know feels like a like you've got two um, bits of metal and there's a joint there and it's it's safe. My my legs at the time felt like two matchsticks. Mm. And so when you've got two matchsticks heads, it's easy to, for them to fold. And so there's no real sort of um, stability there. And that's the way my legs felt. Um, and so I just had my hands hovering over there because I was quite strong in my upper body and I just prayed that the joints 
would sort of move slowly. And so, yeah, I took the smallest step. Mm. And look at you now. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, I know we've spoken a little bit prior to this about the dating life with Lily and and I would love to hear about how that has shown up for you. And I know you're in a beautiful relationship now and I know that you, you know, have been with partners before. What would you love for all of us to know about dating with a disability? I I think it takes a a special kind of person to date a person with special needs because it's it's hard. Um, my, My partner is such a... A supportive person and I mean I, I I think you know in the schoolyard a lot of kids are so superficial and I understand that because they're so concerned about what their peers are thinking and what society thinks of them but um, the partners that I've been with have all been so supportive and I think with online dating I found due to my disability there's that hurdle but also the mild intellectual impairment that I've got. Um, I'm not the greatest speller in the world and I would misspell a a few words in a sentence and I've had girls go to me, are you stupid? Oh, my gosh. Um, Which, you know, would be very heartbreaking. And I say to them, you know, not everyone's, you know, perfect. I'm sure you have your flaws and uh, then they would attack me again and... And I would try again with somebody else. And I I know the first girl that I got into a serious relationship with, um, she, she she and I started dating and it was meant to just be a bit of fun. And then it ended up being a, a three-and-a-half-year relationship. And then I met a, another girl online who I'm still very close friends with Um she she and I dated for a, a roughly a year and then I found the love of my life, who's my current partner, Laura. And listen, if I'm if I do anything, you know, if if I'm not understanding anything or if I need help with anything, she's there. Um, you know, I've been very sick and and she's there to look after me. If I'm, you know, struggling with my memory, she she helps me come up with with support, and she's always there to, you know, no matter what, she's there to support me. I know her parents, you know, if I don't go to see them one weekend, they they they'll ring me up and they say, why haven't you come? You know, I, I call them mum and dad as well, and you know, I'm very lucky that I've got my biological father my biological mother, but my mother has been married to my stepfather for a very long time and I I love him like my father and he's been such a a support to me as well. My my phone motor, motor skills aren't like everybody else's and nobody could teach me to tie my shoelaces, but he did. I was, you know, a bit slower than my peers Math was very, very hard for me and he he sat down and took the time to teach me my times tables and teachers couldn't do that. Mm. Do you think it was patience or do you yes. think it was, you know, different ways of showing you how to 
to get to the solution? Yes, I, I think it was a, a combination. I'm quite a, a creative person. And so my stepfather came up with, you know, fun, creative ways to sort of teach me and never gave me too much grief for, for my disabilities. Mm. How, I mean, I know you mentioned before that, you know, with your peers, they were all worried about what everyone else was doing. And for you, it was a bit of a different journey. How do you see society? Do you separate it as people on their own journey, doing their own thing? And I'm on my journey, doing my own thing. Yeah, I think we're all on our own separate journeys, but still together. I think, you know, people are so concerned about how everybody else looks and having the, you know, everybody liked them and and having the best job and the best sneakers and and, and yeah, yeah all, all these sort of things and I think we're, we're all on this journey but you know for people with special needs it's just a little bit of a harder journey. Mm. I think it's interesting because I was speaking to someone this morning about this and she said to me I don't want to be in Melbourne anymore. Everyone's so consumed by money. They're so consumed about how they look. She goes, I literally just want to be with my friends in my community by the beach. And I was <laughs> like, I feel you. I want that as well. <laughs> and so I think that from what it sounds like, you've had such pillars of support. You've had people who have been incredibly patient with you. And that would you say that's outweighed some of the cruelty that has oh, come your definitely. way? definitely. Mm. They've all been so supportive. You know, whenever there's been a hurdle, I've all had them backing me. Mm. And when I've had a victory, they're all there to cheer me on. Mm. Recently, I did a run for brain cancer. Mm. My st stepfather's brother, unfortunately, passed away from, from cancer and I wanted to sort of raise money to, to support that. Mm. Um, and L Larry was a lovely, lovely man. And uh, so I thought it was the least that I could do. And I uh, managed to raise a bit over $1,500 mm. and my partner raised nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Still beat you, Laura. <laughs> Love a bit of healthy competition. <laughs> what do you celebrate today? So I ce celebrate how far I've come. I still go to physio twice a week. I still go to the gym. I try to go to the gym at least twice a week. And I, I celebrate the fact that I can do these things. I'm, I got myself out of that wheelchair. Mm. Um, you know, if there are people out there at the moment who are going through a hard time, what would you say to them in your positive outlook with life? What would you say to them to to sort of keep them going if they're yeah. listening at home. So I suppose it's okay to cry. Mm. It's okay to be sad um, and it's okay to be excited about, you know, small achievements. There are lots of small achievements we we do. You know, you can, when you go to McDonald's and uh, you peel off one of those things on the Monopoly game and you get a free cheeseburger, you can be happy about that. You can cheer that on mm. or if you... You know, you got a small pay rise or or you've gotten a good result when you've visited the physio or the doctor. You can just be happy about those things and mm. and uh, celebrate those with the correct people. 
That's amazing. Love the cheeseburger reference. <laughs> <laughs> if if you've got questions about disability, reach out to somebody, you know, and and ask them over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, um, you know, so you can sort of get some understanding. The only way we're going to learn in our society is by asking questions. Hmm. What would you say to the Andy that was in school or at the supermarket, what would you say to him now? Life's going to be okay. You're going to get through things. There's going to be hurdles, but just be yourself. Don't mm. worry about the kids making fun of you for the way you walk or the fact that you're a bit slower than them. You'll get over it and uh, life will be will go on and you'll, you'll be fine. Maybe. And life will be beautiful still. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, it. Gabby. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode and I hope that you can take away some inspiration from Andy's mindset and his story today.